This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, Denver's new mayor has an ambitious plan to end homelessness in the metro. Those tasked with approving the funding want definitive goals. Today, we have a Real Talk about Mike Johnston's plan to solve homelessness. How he'll find stable housing for thousands and what those on the front lines of the crisis truly think. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Haffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a Real Talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. This week, we are following up on a Real Talk episode we first aired in the beginning of June. It focused on the plans to end homelessness by Denver Mayor candidate Mike Johnston and Kelly Brock. With Johnson recently taking office, we decided it was important to revisit his plan to end homelessness. He has put together a team of 10 people to lead his homelessness response. It is quite an ambitious plan, with an urgent push to house 1,000 people experiencing homelessness by the end of the year. Mayor Johnson looks to do this with several housing options, including existing units, which are available now, hotel conversion that can be acquired, micro-communities like tiny home villages and safe outdoor spaces, as well as potentially larger commercial buildings being retrofitted. We believe that by actually matching people with housing units that offer dignity and stability, we can get them out of places where they're unsheltered uh, and into housing. That also allows us to get back those public spaces that can be open for everybody to use. Now, the second part of this plan is to permanently close encampments and connect people with supportive housing and services. Johnston says this will be different than the previous administration. The old camping ban enforcement was people are living on a block and you want them not to be living there. And so you force them to move all their stuff and move off that block. When you are not offering those folks someplace to go in the form of housing, all they can do is take their stuff and move to the next block. The the difference here is we are only uh, we are waiting for us to bring housing units on when housing units are available. Then we would come to people in an encampment and say, we now have housing units to move you to. Let us help you move to those units. This comes as Denver City Council voted to extend the mayor's emergency declaration on homelessness. This declaration helps to speed up state and federal resources to address homelessness. Of course, extending this declaration doesn't come for free. We spoke to City Council member Chris Hines, who says council is throwing the mayor's team a bone here. We kind of wrote a bit of a blank check for the, for the mayor. And uh, so in the next four weeks, I want that check to, uh, to have some description to it. So I want to understand what is the plan. So the goal is um, 1,000 of our unhoused into housing by the end of the year. All right, how are we going to do that? What, uh, what steps are we going to do? What interim goals are we going to have in the process? And, uh, and how can we measure that success? And, and that measurement, including interim goals, is how I will base my votes on extending the emergency declaration each time. Right now, Mayor Johnston's team is working to meet community members where they are. His team is hosting several town halls across the city of Denver to welcome residents' feedback on this plan. Let's dig deeper now and hear from community voices of those who are impacted the most by these decisions. Anna Gloom is from House Keys Action Network. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. You've spent uh, 10 years on the streets and off. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you experienced. Um, Well, yeah, about 10 years on and off the streets. Um, This last bout was, I came back in 2019 in the summer, just before COVID. 
So I was living in a shelter. Uh, I was an alcoholic addict and all of that. I stayed, I was one of the first people to the first night they opened the uh, um, National Western Stock Show building. Mm -hmm. And that was a nightmare. I will never be able to, you know, shake memories that I've seen in that building, let alone just what's in the shelters. And then I moved out, stayed at a hotel for a while, and I got lucky. I was told about a program at the time that was putting people in hotels, and I have lung issues, so I was a candidate, and they put me in a hotel during that time. Uh, you know, I got moved around to a couple hotels, but I was able to get sober. I was able to deal with a lot of issues that had me on the streets due to like mental health issues. I mean, there's something so important about a door that closes, right? And, and a place oh, yeah. that you can be and just like, this is my space. Yes. I mean, it, just being able to not worry about like, there's the comparative of being in a big giant room with almost upwards of a thousand other people is there's nothing quite like it like comparatively like the idea of being able to you just you want to drink you want to do drugs you want to do whatever it is to forget that you're in that situation and i was able like yeah like you said being able to just have somewhere to go that was mine but you know that was just a stepping point. Right. Like I was able with that to be able to get signed up for a voucher and I got very lucky. I was chosen by DHA as one of the voucher recipients and I was able to get myself housed. Anna, I appreciate you sharing part of your experience in a shelter like the one at the Western Stock Show Complex because there are a lot of people who say, we have the resources now, we have shelter. Why aren't people taking this resource? Of course, we don't have the finite details yet of Mayor Johnston's plan, but what's your immediate reaction to some of the things he's saying about how he would handle the issue of homelessness? Well, first and foremost, I feel like he's just specifically keeping mostly just the encampments and because they're visible. But if he's truly wanting to house a thousand people, he needs to be looking at people who've been in shelters. There's people who've been in shelters upwards of almost 10 years, wow. 10 years living in shelters. We have a shelter that is full of 70 very vulnerable trans, non-binary and women who have been through so much. Their hotel is being closed down. They're basically being still, some of them are being still sent to the streets. Right. I mean, his plan is ambitious, but he needs to be looking at every aspect of the houseless community, not just cleaning up Denver to make it look pretty for the tourists and the upper class people living here. And you mentioned campants. A big part of that plan by the mayor is to get people experiencing homelessness inside, close those encampments across the city and get people in touch with supportive services. What more needs to be done and from your on the ground eyes what's actually feasible well um i mean i again i applaud the tiny homes and sos camps but you can't force people to do that mm -hmm. i mean you're the sos camps have a lot of rules and regulations and some people just don't want to go there 
And then again, it's a short term goal. Like the best possible idea would be is a housing first, straight to housing. Use that and we could master lease tons of apartments throughout the city. We could put people into housing and then be giving them the supportive services they need. They, as long as they're in the housing and they're getting supportive services, they're going to flourish. Like, that, it's as simple as that. I mean, putting them in SOS camps and increasing vouchers, they're building more at 30% is all ambitious, but I mean, we have 23,000 vacant units at last heard. <sighs> That's, we could easily be master leasing and taking care of this and getting people off the streets and out of these shelters. Anna and Nathan, I certainly hope Mayor Johnson is listening and watching because from someone who's directly experienced this in shelters, on the streets, into a home, you are saying what the solutions are. So I want to thank you so much for mm -hmm. sharing your experience and taking your time to be with us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. That was Anna Gloom from House Keys Action Network. The number of people living on the streets or in shelters across the metro is increasing showing the full economic impact from the pandemic. We look into these new numbers and introduce you to the organization tasked with keeping track of those experiencing homelessness. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. We're having a real talk about Denver Mayor Mike Johnson's ambitious plan to end homelessness across the city. Recently, the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative released the 2023 annual point-in-time count data. The count occurred on Monday, January 30th, and records the number of people staying in shelters and outdoors on any given night. This year, 9,065 people were counted in the seven-county metro area. That number is a 31.7% increase from 2022. Big increase yeah. there. To go more in-depth on this study, we're joined by Dr. Jamie Reif from the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, this point in time count was just one night and a particularly cold one. How does weather impact the actual number of people that you're able to reach? Yeah, so the point in time is just that. It's one night, it's one point in time, and there are a lot of factors that influence it. Volunteers, how many we have, how engaged they are, weather, things like that all impact it. This year it was incredibly cold, so a lot of people moved indoors. We saw our shelter numbers increase. And again, every year we see fluctuations really related to weather and some of those other variables. This wasn't a surprise, I'm hearing. The, the number was going to increase. But what stood out to you about this year's results? Yeah, it wasn't a surprise. We knew that this day was coming when we would see the full kind of economic fallout of the pandemic. So with things like our rental assistance money drying up, prevention funding drying up, households not having access to the type of supports they'd had during the pandemic, we knew this day was, was really coming. Um, I think the one thing that stood out was the sharp increase in family homelessness, mm -hmm. specifically families that were experiencing homelessness for the first time. And that was a number that I honestly was incredibly surprised by um, and hoped that we didn't ultimately see, but we did just because of the, the economic impacts of COVID. There were so many numbers yeah. in that study that were a bit concerning. 20% mm -hmm. uh, of those counted were black. That's a huge number in relation to Denver's roughly 6% black population. Do you have any insight into 
this particular disparity. Yeah, you can't talk about homelessness without talking about race and reckoning the fact that in this country, race plays into who experiences poverty and homelessness. And I think oftentimes we talk about homelessness, but we don't talk about other root causes. We're so focused on solving for homelessness, housing people, which is great, we need to be. But we need to be looking upstream at those systems that are failing, that disproportionately affect black, indigenous, and people of color in this country, that the output is homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, when we talk about more evictions, when the eviction moratorium ended, mm -hmm. when we saw those numbers, we saw more families of color being evicted. Absolutely. So now we're seeing the repercussions of that in these numbers. We are, and I will say there are a few things that are surprising about homelessness data. There are a few things that are not. Mm -hmm. One of the consistent things we always see is the overrepresentation of BIPOC communities in our homeless population. That is consistent no matter what data we're looking at nationally. Yeah. I want to talk about the social capital that, that some families have to use when they are facing homelessness mm -hmm. and they say, I need to stay on your couch mm -hmm. or I have to hotel hop or I'm going to stay in my car. How does that factor into when you're counting these numbers? What is considered homelessness for this study? Because I know people that are they're dealing with that very same issue. Yeah, and I think this is one of the another one of the challenges with plain time. So under this, it's the literal definition of homelessness. So you have to be staying outdoors or a place not meant for human habitation or in shelter or transitional housing or something else that we call safe haven. That's the definition. Here's a challenge. In a year like this year, what was really cold, a lot of people pulled that social capital and said, can I stay on your couch tonight? They might've gotten a motel voucher that we didn't know about, things like that. And so they weren't able to be counted. And I think that's why we really need to move towards having real time quality data and not relying on this annual count. So what does that look like real time? Is yeah. that someone going out every single night? I mean, the capital to, to, to make that happen yeah. seems astronomical. Well, good news. We do have, we have a solution for that. Okay. Um, so one of the things that we've been working on as a state very diligently over the last five years is something called the Homeless Management Information System. So think of this almost like a student information system, electronic healthcare system. And that is a system that providers and outreach workers are using on a daily basis entering data. And so what we can see is if people are entering data, we can see who's staying in our shelters, who's staying outdoors, who's being served by the different providers, who's up for housing, all of those things in one system. So we don't have to wait. It is July yeah. and we are just getting data that we captured on the 31st of January. So we have to have data in real time if we wanna be able to plan accordingly and understand what our actual needs are. Jamie, more than 9,000 people reported experiencing homelessness in the survey. I had to repeat that number again. How can we make inroads into yeah. reducing that number? I mean, there's a lot of red tape around resources, even public pushback that say, I don't want these tiny home villages in my backyard. So what are some of the solutions? Yeah, there's one solution that works, um, and that's called housing. Um, homelessness ends in a home. And so what we have to be able to do is meet the demand of affordable and low-income units. Um, if you talk to people experiencing homelessness, the vast, vast, vast majority of people want to be in safe, stable housing. And we just heard that from Anna. That's exactly right. And yeah. that's another thing that we see consistently that I think is a narrative that we don't hear in the public enough. And so we really need to be able to create and scale our housing resources, particularly in a city like Denver, where it is so expensive to live here. Um, other portions of the country where they've seen success is really, like Anna said, getting people into housing, like her own experience, being able to get into a place, shut the door, and be able to work on things and figure out the next steps. That's what we need to be focused on, and that's where we're going to actually see reductions. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. And again, she, you're right, Nathan. She said it. Housing first. Housing first. I think housing we first. have a solution here. <laughs> that's Dr. Jamie Reif from the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative.
Community activists and nonprofit organizations are important voices to remember in this conversation. They're usually the ones with boots on the ground, reaching out directly to those impacted. The team at Mutual Aid Monday does just that. Their perspective on how the mayor's plans can be implemented next. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm CPR's Nathan Happel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. This week, we've been having a real talk about Denver Mayor Mike Johnston's plan to address homelessness. His goal is to house 1,000 people living on the streets of Denver by the end of the year. There aren't many organizations that know what those living on the streets directly need, like Mutual Aid Monday. The group meets those living on the streets in person, providing them with food and camping gear to survive. We want to welcome Kel Sang Viria and Kim Miller of Mutual Aid Monday. Kel Sang is the group's founder, and Kim Miller is their mutual aid activist. And we want to thank both of you for being here to have this important discussion. So you go out to those and you directly meet with people who are impacted by homelessness. What do you see as the top needs of the community? Um, no, I, I feel like that um, our approach really is being out in the community, building relationships. Um, uh, we do have our weekly event that Viri can talk about, but um, it's mostly just really recognizing people's humanity and um, doing what we can to kind of uh, like accompany them and be in solidarity with them and recognize their struggles and their trauma and their, um, and you know, try to be, um, you know, try to help them find their voice as yeah. well so they can advocate for themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's no judgment. We go out there and we have just, uh, just love and compassion for folks and creating the community. And then for now, three years into it, um, they come to us, they trust us. We're, we're like a bridge from um, the street to um, service agencies because they don't really trust them as much and they trust us. Um, so that's the most important thing is just to be there. I mean, one-on-one -on -one or in a group, you know, like just let them know we care, find out what they need and um, go from there. And I bet when they see you coming, they're, they're like, okay, at least I know something's coming. It may be a hundred degrees or maybe minus six, you know, but you're going to be there helping, helping out, right? Yeah. When they see our cars coming, they know our cars. I mean, and if we go to a, you know, like a, a larger camp, it'll just be, you better have a lot of stuff to give out. because There's going to be a lot of need. And yeah. I hate to go to a camp and not have what I need to give to them. Johnson's team has expressed a desire to increase housing-focused outreach for those living in encampments, living on the streets, but what needs to be done in order for that outreach to be effective? Well, I, I, you touched on the point, and I'm very as well, but uh, we've had quite a few years of really, really difficult policy toward the unhoused that have been very destructive to them and certainly to any trust that they might have of government or in some cases even non-profit agencies who uh, many of them are contracted with the city government um, which is not to say you know there's not some you know people doing good things but we've seen a lot of really terrible terrible abuses of them and that's why we attended a lot of the sweeps um, and the worst for me to witness were in the winter in the freezing cold you know people having to pry their tents <laughs> off the sidewalk the freezing cold Rip their tents and then move it to another snow ice covered uh, place. Yeah, and so it's going to take time, I think. To, I mean, it's early days with the Johnson administration, and it, it certainly is a breath of fresh air from what we experienced in, in recent years. 
Um, and it, so we, I at least want to be cautiously optimistic, but it's just going to really take time to, and you know, that's going to be a key part of it is really centering the unhoused, not being paternal. The days of paternalistic top down approaches to addressing homelessness have to be over. Yes. You know, we have to involve them, listen to them, right. um, you know, understand their circumstances. And, um, and I, I do see glimmers of that being done, you know, um, uh, so, uh, you know, Mayor, uh, yeah. uh, Mayor you know, Johnson has been out talking to unhoused, talking to unhoused advocates, and um, that, you know, that gives me hope. That's, really. that's uh, you know, 100% improvement right there, that he's actually on the street talking to him. I'm not very optimistic, though, <laughs> but, um, I, um, but I do, I am impressed that he's, you know, trying. I, I, I you know, his, the big plan of having so many people housed by the end of the year um, creating these uh, micro communities. I mean, I'm wondering if he hasn't really looked at what's happened already that the micro communities haven't really worked, you know, that well. I mean, it works for some people. I have a very good friend on house that is now on the pipeline into uh, um, permanent housing. But I know 10 others that ended up getting kicked out of SOS or, you know, they, they just don't fit. Right. And, and we, we know that, that you hand out supplies, but there are people that say because you're handing out these supplies, you're enabling homelessness. What do you say about that? You know, if, if anybody were to ask me that, I, I would probably not even want to answer that question or talk with them. They do not understand or get it. There's no way that we're in enabling. There's been a survey done and 92% of the folks on the street don't want to be on the street. I mean, so basically they don't want to be on the street. Um, they don't want to be do, doing drugs. I mean, they, it's not their choices, you know. This is, they're addicted to drugs. I mean, and they have a lot of mental health issues. A lot we, of trauma. They have a ton tra of trauma. trauma. And they're re-traumatized. The sweeps would re-traumatize them. It was like a, a, a natural disaster every other week, having to, you know, pile up everything and move and then lose it. You know, there's been... Um, People's, um, their mother's ashes have been destroyed. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's just horrible. Yeah. Well, Vera and Kim, I want to thank you so much for your time. I can't believe how quickly this conversation went, but I'm being told to wrap it up. Wrap it okay. Up. So thank you again for being here to have this real talk. That's founder Kel Sangviria and Kim Miller of Mutual Aid Monday. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows at CPR.org slash Real Talk or Denver7.com slash Real Talk. Have a great day.